Yeah, my name is Simon, by the way, if we've not met, and thank you for coming to Grace City. Our, our hope is that as a church, we can, we can be a church, we can, we can be friends, we can worship Jesus, learn what it means to follow Jesus and to grow and, and, and trusting and obeying him in such a way that potentially anyone might come and experience truth, God's word, grace, and ultimately new life in Jesus Christ. We believe that uh, Jesus is here with us. That was his promise to his disciples. It's his promise to us that by the Holy Spirit, Jesus who is alive is present when we gather like this, which means we're not just talking about God, we're meeting with our creator. And when that happens, change takes place. New life becomes a reality more than just an idea. It's, it's something to, to be experienced, like a real relationship. So wherever you're coming from, in terms of your belief system, if someone just invited you this morning, you have not been to church in a really, really long time, um, I, I hope you feel, feel safe and comfortable here. I hope you feel challenged here because we all want to be challenged to grow and we want to learn. Um, I hope you meet some, some people before you leave here. Because ultimately, at least when it comes to Christianity, uh, everything that I just said is meant to happen in the context of relationship. The theology can't ever just be an abstraction that we think about or that we just YouTube or, or, or podcast. It has to be worked out in community. You guys with me? So just say so you no, know, that's, that's what we're doing here. Now, we're going to open the Bible here in a minute, um, but one more thing I almost forgot. Taylor, I'm going to need you to just come on up front real quick if you can do that. Um, you guys, give Taylor Schreiber a hand. Um, we're going to pray for Taylor. He's getting ready to, to transition in life and move. You're going to uh, Grant's Pass. Yeah, you're going to be like a manager at Dutch Bros. No. Or corporate, corporate, like in charge of everything. No. Something. Something like that. Okay. Do you want to tell us what you're actually doing before we pray for you and send you out? Yeah. So I'm going to be working at Dutch Bros headquarters doing uh, like innovations for the company. So pretty fun. That's awesome. So Taylor has been serving as a part of this church for quite some time now. He's, he just jumped right into Kid City. So downstairs, we've got a bunch of the little ones who are eagerly learning about Jesus. And they're easy to forget because they're, they're below us. But this guy, he just jumped right in, and it turns out he's really, really good at teaching kids, and my kids have been super blessed. So you're moving, you're doing great things, but we don't want you to just disappear. We want to send you out as a brother. So we're going to pray. Uh, Calvin, thanks for coming up. We're going to pray for our, our man here. And if you want to just extend a hand like that, that's something that we do to sort of as a gesture of like, yes, we're with you, we're praying for you, we're sending you. So Father, thank you for Taylor. Thank you for the gift that he's been uh, to, to your church, um, our church family here. Thank you for the way that he's just jumped in selflessly. Didn't, didn't wait for, for really much of anything, just said, I'm here, I wanna serve, I wanna, I wanna contribute to this family, and, and thank you for the way that he's done that. Thank you for the way that he's, he's ministered to our children, which we know is a, a major priority for you, Lord Jesus. And I pray that as he gets ready to transition now to this, this job that you've blessed him with in this new role, in this new city. I pray that you would lead the way. Guide him to exactly where you would have him go next. 
specifically um, within your, your body, your great big family. Lord, I pray that you'd bring him to a, a church where he can, he can grow, where he can continue to learn, and where he can be the blessing that he is and that you've called him to be. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Taylor. Okay, every once in a while we have to do that because one of the things about the city, it's a very transient kind of place and people come and go. So every once in a while I'll find out that someone's about to go and we wanna, we wanna celebrate that because I believe that sometimes God is, in, is totally in that. Other times people are just trying to escape and run and hide and be flaky and anyway. Let's do Bible. <laughs> Let's do Bible. Um, okay, we're going to go to John 15. So if you want to go ahead and begin to thumb your way there. Uh, but here's what we're going to do over the next four weeks. September 22nd, we're going to actually begin our study through the book of Revelation. So if you've been looking forward to that, it is happening. I knew if I just said it, if I put it out there, then, then I would be obligated. So there you go. We're doing it now. And I'm really, really excited. I just finished um, a whole lot of research that coincided with my, my study at Western Seminary. So it's, it's going to be quite an adventure. Um, I'm excited for that. But before we jump into that, we're going to spend the next four, week, four weeks talking about um, what God is doing specifically with Grace City in Portland. For us, we're nearing the fall, we're nearing September, so this kind of marks the beginning of our, a new season for us. Students are, are coming back to school, universities kicking off. I know it's not January, but for us, this is kind of our rhythm. Um, so it's an opportunity for us to, to just step back a bit and say, God, what, what, what do you want us to focus on specifically as your family, your, your children, Grace City, Every church is part of one big church, one Lord, one church, but the body is made up of many parts um, within the local church, but within the, the universal church as well. Grace City, we, we've got a unique calling. We have a unique character. No one is here by accident. So when we all come together, we, 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 we form a unique expression of the body of Christ called Grace City. So, what is it that God wants to do uniquely through us as a church this season? What are some of the things that perhaps we've, we've drifted on that we need to come back to? What are, what, are, what are our family values? So, we're going to take four weeks to talk through those things um, so that we, as we sort of hit the year running, I really like that pick. I hate Monopoly, but it's just something so nostalgic about the family around the board game. So we're gonna talk about family values. Are you guys with me? Yep. All right, let's do it. Let's go to John 15. And we're gonna talk about our first family value. We're gonna read John 15 verses one all the way through 17, a whole, whole section. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another." Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Let's talk about friendship. I would argue that as a church, as any church really, friendship, it's, it's the core family value. This passage relatively famous uh, Jesus passage towards the end of John. He's uh, sitting with his disciples during the Last Supper, and he's been talking for a while. You could say this is the pinnacle of his discourse. Of course, he goes on to talk about the Holy Spirit, um, because we'll need the Holy Spirit to actually do this. It's what makes it such a great joy. But he says, I no longer call you servants. Because a servant just simply does what he's told. The word there is actually slave. I no longer call, call you bond slaves. Because you're just doing what you're told if you're a servant. But I'm calling you friends. Something's progressed in the journey. Jesus says, this is going to be a friendship. This is going to get real. Um, how many friends would you say you have? 
and how would you define friendship? having this conversation with my two boys, six-year-old and 10-year-old, uh, on, on my way here this morning, and I asked them the question, how would you define friendship? It seems so simple for them. They just said, well, if they're nice and they're fun, we're friends. <laughs> I wish it was that simple. I mean, I guess in a way it is, but it's not. How many friends do you have, and how would you define Friendship. Can we put the next slide up? You guys know this guy? Yeah, I have no idea who he is either. Actually, that's not true. Um, this is William Jeffrey Hurst. We met on October, we became friends, rather, on October 24th, 2007, at exactly 7.14 a.m., He was my very first Facebook friend ever. <laughs> I have no idea who he is. Isn't that the weirdest thing? So I opened up my Facebook account back in October of 2007. And it, it turns out I've done some Facebook stalking, as we do. He's a supply priest in Kansas City, Missouri. He's a substitute priest in Missouri. And he was my first Facebook friend ever. I don't know who he is. <laughs> I thought about messaging him and being like, yo, Bill, who the heck are you? <laughs> I mean, I looked through all of his details and his info, and I'm trying to figure out what is the connection? There must be a connection. He's an ordained Anglican minister. So I, thought I, I was living in London for a while. I actually went to... Anglican seminary, so to speak. So maybe that's it. But I couldn't, I couldn't find, we don't have any mutual friends. Okay, it's dumb, I know. But it kind of says something about friendship and our lives and our world, our culture, this day and age. How we think about and even use the word Friend. It's, it's really, in a, in a radical, tragic way, lost so much of its meaning. Wouldn't you say? Now, we're going to get right back to the scriptures, but I, I wanted to say a few more things just to kind of set this up. I came across this recently. This is an October 2018 uh, Barna survey. You guys know Barna, the international like uh, polling company. They produce some great stuff. So less than a year ago, Barna did a survey that showed that the majority of Americans, adults, American adults rather, 62%, has anywhere between two and five close friends, but one in five regularly or even often feels lonely. Similarly, a study done around the same time by Cigna, the health insurance conglomerate, found that most Americans report feeling, quote, lonely, left out, and not known. Those who report the highest levels of loneliness are single, male, young, and likely earning a lower income. Just a stat. 
Those who aren't working or those who are part of the growing proportion of Americans who work remotely or for themselves are likely making fewer friends because of a plurality of adults, 42%, meet their friends on the job. That's true. How many of us have made like our closest friends or currently have our closest friends with coworkers due to sheer amount of time spent together? 42% compared to only 20% in the church. So you got like your church friends, but then like you got your real friends. You guys know, you know about that thing? <laughs> have you ever been, some of you shaking like, no, like these are all my friends right here. It's a thing, it's a thing, all right? The Barna study officially concluded, Americans are friendly, but lonely. We're friendly, but seem to struggle, at least statistically, when it comes to actually having, making, holding on to, enjoying friendships. As a church, we must do better. We must. We must do better. Psalm 86, verse 6 says, God places the lonely in families. Or one might say, God gives friends to the friendless. Friendship is one of our core values as a church family. So what is it? I've not really answered the question, how many friends do you have? How would you define friendship? How would you define friendship? You could do the whole Webster's uh, definition. It's super boring. It's something like friendship is having friends. Um, I tried. I thought, let's let's see what Webster's got for us. It's not not good, not helpful. Here's a list of definitions that I think are kind of helpful. Um, Number one, friendship is love demystified. It's love and abstraction brought down to real life. It's affection on the ground. Here's another one. Friendship is family that you actually like. (laughs) Friendship is giving another all you've got and genuinely finding it a delight. Friendship is intimacy with the lights on. Friendship is waking up in the middle of the night on your honeymoon only to discover that you both had the bad room service, if you follow me. I knew I married my best friend when we both woke up around 3 a.m. on the night of our wedding only to race each other for the bathroom. Of course, me being the gentleman that I am, you know, ladies first, as I frantically broke out into a cold sweat pacing in front of the, the bathroom, I knew in that moment I had married my best friend. What a night. What a night. It passed. Not in that way. Friendship is 10, 20, 30 years in, long enough to look back and see that the hard stuff has made diamonds. Friendship is when you've been through some stuff. And you say, yeah, now, now we're friends. It was hard, but man, did God do something. Why 
two questions. Why are quality friendships so important? And perhaps more importantly, how? Okay, why are, as a church family, we're talking about family values, why is this one of our core values? We can go to the next slide. I, don't, I feel awkward. <laughs> Sorry, thank you. Does anyone know William Jeffrey Hurst? Okay. Why are quality friendships so important and practically how do we live out this value, i.e. what can we do to turn the tide of superficial relationships in the family of God? Okay, so let's, let's be real. Uh, churches aren't exactly known for being like the, uh, the place you go to like begin deep, valuable relationships, friendships. And that breaks my heart, really, to say that. But it's, I think it's true. I think it's true. So many people come into a meeting like this and they struggle to actually connect with people because it all feels slightly superficial and, and, and it's, just, it's just hard. And I, I could talk hours and hours about why I think that is. But the more important question, what do we actually do about it? What can we do to begin getting God's vision for friendship and practically doing it with one another? Okay, why is that so important? Two things. Number one, because we'll never be satisfied without friendship. That's my contention. You will never ever be happy in life until you have found two to five, or whatever, real friends. Real friends. And I said before, one of the definitions of friendship is family that you actually like. And that's true because it's not enough just to be family because let's face it, some of us don't really care for our families. And it's like, you love them because it's biology. Like, you'll just, you'll, you're always going to love them. You do kind of love them, but you don't really like them all the time. Friendship is something else. It's what we're truly all looking for. Now, it's wonderful when those categories of family and friendship actually overlap. But we need it. We're looking for it. We will not be satisfied without it. And secondly, it's one of the primary ways we demonstrate to the world what God's love looks like. John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. If friendship is love demystified, then I might interpret that statement as such, people will know that we're Jesus' disciples by the way we do friendship with one another. It's not love and abstraction. It's affection on the ground. If we're serious about sharing Jesus with the world, they need, they need to be able to look in through these windows, these little fogged out windows, and observe our friendships and say, oh, that's what it looks like lived out. It's a missional imperative. So that's why it's important. What will it take to do it? What will it take to foster lasting, genuine friendships in this, this little church family? Five things. Number one, sacrifice. Number two, abiding. Number three, a willingness to leave the crowd for the one. Number four, patience. And number five, obedience. Let me break it down. Number one, sacrifice. 
John 15, verses 12 and 13, Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends or her friends. Sacrifice, not mutual service. Not I'll scratch my back if you scratch mine. Sorry, sorry. I'll, sorry, took me a minute. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Thank you. It's embarrassing. Calm down. It's not mutual service. You might object and say, but isn't that one-sided? Isn't that being taken granted for? No. It's sacrificial love. It's, it's engaging with someone else. It's loving someone else in a very real way, the way Jesus has loved us. This is what we've just read. There is no greater love than to lay your life down for a friend. Because this is how Jesus has loved us. This is why Jesus calls us friends. He demonstrated it by literally laying down his life for us. Did he do so with a thousand strings attached? Did he do so with stipulations installed? Did he give his own life on the cross and then say, only if you do A, B, and C, X, Y, and Z? No, he, he gave everything for us. He left home, came down to us, lived a sinless life, and died for us. And said, now will you receive this gift? It's, it's just how he loved. It's, it's the mind-bogginess I'm going to make up a word. It's what's so astounding about the gospel. It's the, the scandal of grace. It's sacrificial love. It's where friendship in the family of God actually begins. But it's hard. It's hard. It's hard work. Because the way we've been conditioned all our lives, I would argue, is, look, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Got it right that time. Well, we can, we can do this if there's some sort of a, a mutual agreement. M many, many people approach marriage this way. And I promise you it's a surefire way of, of, of setting yourself up for frustration in marriage. I'll love you as long as you love me back. I'll serve you as long as I'm getting my fair share in return. Maybe it'll work out for you. I would argue probably not. Because those expectations tend to be unreal. <laughs> like, I want my wife to love me the way only God can? How cruel is that? So sacrificial love is saying, let me give to you. Let me pour out my life for you. Let me lay down my life for you because that's what friendship looks like in the family of God. Secondly, and this one's connected, abiding. 
John 15 verses four and five, backing up a little bit, Jesus began by saying, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him or her, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then it goes on in verse 12 to say, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, so this, this is connecting our thought to the sacrifice. How do we do it? How do we love like Jesus? How do we actually give sacrificial love without burning out? Without simply getting frustrated or feeling like this, this isn't worth it. Now to be sure, there is healthy boundaries to, to, to life, to relationships. You can't just give and give and give and give and give until you just like give yourself to a burnt crisp. That doesn't make any sense. A burnt crisp. You can't just burn yourself out, never receiving love, never caring for yourself, never actually getting filled up. It's, in, it's impossible to give and give and give until you've got nothing left to give and you try to give a little bit more and you just feel angry and bitter and resentful inside. So how do we actually do this? How do we abide? Um, here's my doodle. Here's me. And here's... Um, oh, okay. Thank you. Here's me. Here's Ken Marks. That's Ken right there, Okay. I love Ken. <laughs> What'd you call me, Mark? <laughs> I love Ken. I give some of my time to Ken. I give him my attention. I, I bear with him. Um, yeah, I really do. <laughs> um, and I love him. And I give to him. And you know what? Ken loves me. I'm convinced he does. He gives to me. He gives me his time. He buys me breakfast. He puts up with me. He's kind to me. He, he builds me up. He, he actually loves me with great courage. Gosh, some of the conversations that we've had, man, you, you would think we're an old couple just going at it. <laughs> but he loves me quite boldly at times. Now, what happens if, if I start getting, I, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of getting a little tired of Ken. You know, I'm just going to, I'm going to withdraw a little bit. I've given him more than enough, probably more than he deserved. And so I'm just going to withdraw my love. I've given him everything. Now, what do you reckon he's going to do? He's going to get me. He might be tempted to say, all right, fine. You know, we, we had a good run. But uh, if you're not interested in loving me or extending friendship to me, maybe I'll just withdraw mine. Because I don't feel like it's really worth it anymore. I don't really feel like I'm, I'm, I'm getting out as much as I'm putting in. And so the relationship becomes uh, strained. Love is no longer flowing. But what if I'm abiding in Jesus? And I'm being filled with his love. What if I'm growing in my friendship 
with God. You know, it says that Abraham was a friend of God. Three times in the scriptures, twice in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament, Abraham was a friend of God. What if I'm walking with God? What if I'm learning what it, what it means, how one receives love and grace and peace and life from God? And I'm being filled up. He is my deeper well. And he never runs out. He just keeps loving, keeps loving, keeps loving because that is the nature of who he is. It's what he loves like. And what if Ken is doing the same thing? He's abiding in Jesus and he's learning how to receive love from God. Perfect love, bold love. And then in that place, I say, Ken, you know what? You're a little hard to love sometimes. But you know what? So am I. So am I. You can say amen right there. It's my wife. And let's say Ken, he says, you know what, Simon? I've got a heart that's so full of love. I've been abiding in Jesus so much lately that I feel like I've got something to share. And I'm gonna give love to you. I'm gonna give friendship to you. I'm gonna engage with you and pour out my life sacrificially without expecting anything from you because I've been abiding in Jesus. Now, If as we're attempting to build our friendship, I decide, you know, I'm having a rough week, and honestly, Ken, you're really just getting on my last nerve. I'm gonna gonna withdraw. Does Ken have to withdraw? Does he have to pull back? Does he have to become critical? Does he have to become disengaged? No, because the love that he was giving me never had anything to do with me really in the first place. Gosh, I could be his enemy as far as that goes. And because he's been abiding in Jesus, he actually has something to share. What happens is the cycle's broken. Eventually, I will come to my senses and I'll say, what am I doing? Why am, why am I withdrawing? I'm, I'm actually breaking friendship with the very person that God has placed in my life to help grow me and bless me. But because Candace continued to love me, despite the fact that I've not been reciprocating very well, now I come back around. And I remember, God has blessed me with this friend. I begin to receive love from Jesus again through Ken, perhaps. And we can do a real friendship because we're abiding in Jesus It's it's the simplest thing ever, but this is the power of the gospel. This This is how friendship is done in the kingdom of God. And apart from our king, we can do nothing. Because we're we're finite. Left to myself, my love runs out. Sacrifice, abiding, number three. It takes a willingness to leave the crowd for the one. We've been in John 15. Luke 15, one of the other gospels, Jesus is being accused of being a friend of sinners. I love that. And he responds saying to his critics, which one of you, having a hundred sheep, 
If he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. If we call ourselves Christians, that is to say, if I am like Christ, if we call ourselves Christians, we have the responsibility of concerning ourselves with the one person sitting alone, even though it would be way easier to simply enjoy our little circle of peers in any given place or on any given Sunday morning. We have the responsibility to leave the crowd and regard the one. It's how God has loved us. Now this is super practical for us because again, don't get me wrong, gathering like this on a Sunday, I, I believe with all my heart, this is very, very important for us. This is, this is a big part of like our, our life as a church community, our rhythm as a church community, coming together, the family, not forsaking, the coming together, super important. But, but, this, this is where I was kind of critiquing us earlier. It can be a very, very superficial thing because we're all, we come here and, and inevitably, you know, if you're, if you're a bit more socially adept, you'll, you'll, you'll make some friends. If you keep coming back, or maybe you have friends who brought you here, maybe you'll connect and maybe it'll work out. But a lot of people will come in here and they'll sit down alone. And no one will talk to them. Or maybe someone will kind of like, like maybe someone on the welcome team will come and like do their duty and, you know, genuinely love them, but then kind of move on. And there's a lot of people that end up just sitting in a chair like this maybe one week, maybe two weeks, and they leave here feeling just as lonely, if not more so, when they leave as when they showed up. And we, as friends of Jesus, have the responsibility to leave our little crowd for a minute and go regard the one. Now, I get it. This is the parables in the context of salvation and all of that, so don't get all uptight about context. The principle is absolutely undeniably there. Now, this is a challenge. This is a challenge to us. And it's not just about the Sunday morning meeting, obviously, but it's us being aware that, that loneliness is an epidemic in our city, in our world. It's an epidemic. And if you enjoy friendship with Jesus, maybe two to five other people in the family of God, then you and I have the responsibility to leave our crowd and go befriend the one. That's on us. It's on us. Number four. Number one, sacrifice. Number two is abiding. Number three is a willingness to leave the crowd for the one. Number four, this one's so simple, it requires patience. Here's something, it's a a bit more subtle, but it's certainly there. Um, In John 15, this is the Last Supper. This is conversation. This is you are now my friends conversation. When is it happening in the story? He has been walking with these men for at least three and a half years now. Most of them he probably knew even longer than that. But the friendship speech comes at the end, towards the end of the story. 
Because everything that I'm talking about, it takes time. With the rare exception, sometimes you just meet that person, like my wife. Five months, I'm like, I'm marrying this woman. I love her to death. Five months after that, we were married. Ten months, I met and married my best friend. Top that. That's weird. That's extreme and intense and wonderful. But usually doesn't happen like that. Yeah, don't recommend it. It's been a ride. (laughs) Starting on our wedding night. Wonderful. Um, More often than not, it takes time. Like week after week after week. And sometimes during that time, it, it, it takes like pressing through. Like, man, I've been coming to this place for three weeks now, and I've not met my spouse or best friend. <laughs> Y'all are a bunch of superficial, clicky. Three, three weeks, dude. Come back. Just, just keep trying. We're trying. You try. Let's, all, let's figure this out together, but give it some time. It takes patience. It takes patience. Maybe three and a half years. You know, we, we're not even a three-year-old church yet. We're coming up on three years. How about that? Finally, this is number five, and then we will end. It takes obedience. John 15, verses 12 to 14. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life down for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Doing friendship like Jesus is a commandment from Jesus. Isn't that an interesting way to think about it? Something as natural as friendship is actually a commandment by Jesus. Doing friendship like Jesus is a commandment from Jesus, which makes pursuing the kind of friendship that we've been talking about a matter of obedience. It's a direct order from the Lord. Why why does that matter? Why is that important? It sounds to me like you're just taking the joy out of friendship. No, it's, it's super important. This is why. Two things. Number one, it's commanded because... It's a commandment given for our joy. There's the twist. That's the irony of it. It doesn't take the life out of it at all. He says, I've spoken these things to you that my joy will be in you and that your joy will be full. Which means we need to get serious about the ministry of friendship. The ministry of friendship. It's serious business. It's a matter of obeying the Lord, King Jesus. He's, I've commanded you several times in John 15. Commandment, command, I didn't count them up, but he says the word like at least a dozen times. I, I'm commanding you. This is a commandment. If you love me, you will obey me. You will do what I've commanded you. And it's all within the context of friendship. It's a commandment, which means that as we're Attempting to do some of this as a church family, we need to have the right mindset about the importance of our friendships, the hard work that it takes 
to build, endure, maintain, enjoy, grow, steward our friendships. It's for our joy. I think oftentimes so many of us, we think of our relationships. You notice I've not been using the word relationship this whole time. Because relationship is, in my opinion, it's, it's become a meaningless word. I relate to everyone and everything. I have a relationship with my phone. I have a relationship with whatever. But friendship, this is the serious business of heaven. It's a commandment. We need to prioritize it. If we're serious about following Jesus. Now, if you're not interested in that, you do, do whatever you want. I hope you'll reconsider. As we obey Jesus, we need to view our friendships as a stewardship from God. It will require sacrifice. It will require intentionally being filled up with the love of God in Christ. Take patience, enduring through hard things, trusting the master of redemption will make those hard things into beautiful stones. That's where the real stuff of friendship is formed. You guys with me? We need to get serious about the ministry of friendship. Here's a challenge. Can I invite the band to come up, please? I want to leave us with uh, two, two questions. I've been getting some feedback from my uh, leadership team. They keep telling me, uh, Pastor Simon, your sermons are, are okay, but pretty good. But we want to be challenged. We want to leave here with like uh, marching orders. Like what, what do we do? What do we, what do we do? And so I want to challenge you guys. And I really mean this as like a challenge. Two things. Number one, it's a question, but how serious are you about deepening your friendships in this place? And what are you going to do about it? Okay. So this is, this is a value not to just be thought about, but it's something to, to do something with. How serious are you about the friendships in this church? If you're just a visitor from out of town, that's cool. I'm not expecting you to like start building meaningful, lasting relationships with people in this room. But if you're, if you're trying to get plugged into a church community and, and do this for real, okay, my challenge is to you is like, okay, then do it for real. How serious are you and what are you gonna do about it? If you're not happy with your friendships in this little church family that we call Grace City, and it's, I'm telling you, it's on you. You gotta take a step. Get filled up with the love of God in Christ if you need to get someone to pray for you. Because you're like, I got nothing. You're putting this on me? I'm lonely, yo. So we'll help you. We'll help you. But you still gotta take a step. You gotta do that. Secondly, what does your next step in your friendship with God look like? Maybe I should have asked that one first because unless that's happening, not Luis, that. Because <laughs> it will become everything that I've, I've talked to you about this morning will become very, very frustrating. And you'll, you'll find yourself getting disillusioned in your friendships. 
because you'll constantly be giving out, subconsciously expecting to get something back. How's your friendship with Jesus? What's your next step look like in going deeper in God? That's it. Can we stand together, please? You're now listening to Grace City Portland.